Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I I can't stand it when there's something I've lost and I can't find it. And I know where I've put it, but it's not where I put it. So I have to figure out where I thought I put it or I didn't put it or that safe place that I put it. So I wouldn't forget where it was, but it was such a safe place that I forgot where the safe place was. And usually in my house, I I usually don't forget where I put things. So I go through the whole order of the five people that also live in my house and begin to blame them where I have lost the thing that I have misplaced. Irony about many things that are misplaced so often they're right where we left them. It never ceased to amaze me uh, how often with a pair of glasses that you can quickly forget them on top of your head. There is no more humbling experience than I know of asking somebody, can you help me find my glasses? And they point to the top of your head. The irony that something that you need is so close at hand and yet you cannot find it. And so we go through and we look for so many different things throughout the course of our life that we have misplaced. Well, as we've walked through and talked through the Psalms, we've gotten to know David a little bit as he talked uh, with God and his character in there, his struggles and how he was uplifted, his downfalls and his times where he inspired others. And as we dive into the book of Ezekiel today, we begin to see that conversation about David, about the coming Savior. And then also in our gospel lesson, we begin to see that conversation about a shepherd as well. And so we look at David knowing that God had picked him as that lowly shepherd boy. And the reason we reference him as that lowly shepherd boy is all three of those should, well, bring something to mind as you think of it. The word lowly, as you begin to think of it, does not mean of high estate by any means. Um, It doesn't even mean necessarily um, a humble manner about him. Really, it's giving his characterization as to who he is in society, uh, what he can do. Now, the job is worthwhile that he does, but he's not going to be able to gain anything else for himself. Most likely, as a shepherd, he was hired by somebody else. Most likely somebody else owned the sheep and it was his responsibility. Or perhaps as the younger one in the family, it was his job to take care of them. And so the other ones got the other opportunities of managing different things. And that's what he was allowed or equipped to do. Shepherd is probably the easiest one for us to understand as we understand what the word was. The one who tends to the sheep, the one whose responsibility it is to look after them, the one who's supposed to count them, the one who's supposed to feed them, the one who protects them from the wolves, the shepherd. And then the lowly shepherd boy tells us his age, tells us his stature in society, that he was young, that he was small, that he hadn't grown into manhood yet. And so this is what he was capable of being able to do. And through him would come, well, his descendant, Jesus. And through him, a nation would rise that would be Israel. And through him, so many different things would happen that Jesus would once talk about as he goes through the parables later. Seeing how his heavenly father not only was with him, but was also with his ancestors before And so we begin to dive into this analogy of a shepherd and a sheep and seeing different things that are lost. And throughout the history of Scripture, uh, Jesus references different things that are lost. 
And I believe the reason he does that is because everybody can relate to losing something and wanting to find it. Because when you lose something, panic will set in. Panic grabs a hold of you and, well, it messes up your day, doesn't it, when you can't find something that you need. And it throws the whole schedule off. And pretty soon you've been looking something for a half hour and after a half hour goes by, then your other time's thrown off, but yet you still need the thing. Uh, Elizabeth and I had been dating and we were, were we engaged? I'm trying to figure out when we had to go through all those, you don't know what story I'm telling, I'm sorry. I'm asking you questions you can't answer. Uh, we, were, we were dating at the time and uh, we went over to her folks' house and her mom had begun to tear apart the entire house. Um, it's one of those moments where you open up the front door, you step in and you see the chaos inside and you wonder if they heard you and you can leave. I mean, tearing the house apart, everything taken um, apart. And my mother-in-law is a very neat and tidy person. Extremely neat and tidy, like dusted things regularly, neat and tidy. And so we begin to wonder what's going on. And as I look uh, at future mother-in-law, she says, I've lost it. And I'm like, yes, you have. (laughs) No. And so I didn't say it out loud, but as she began to say, I'm like, you've lost what? And so she had lost the stone out of her ring. Now, see, every woman in here that sits there and looks down at their hand, their mouth, your mouth's all just dropped open. You know that, right? And she's going through, and um, me being me and asking questions, well, where did you lose it? Where do you have it? And then the next question is, is it insured? Can you replace it? Type of thing. And the thing you never want to ask a woman who's lost a stone out of their wedding band is, well, can you replace it? If it was that simple of a question, the house wouldn't have been being torn apart. It wouldn't have been in disarray. And I don't know about you, do you know how hard it is to find a stone throughout carpet, throughout a house, vents on the floor, having been out gardening, trying to figure out and retrace your steps, wondering where you possibly could have seen it last and where it would be. My mother-in-law was frantic. But what do you do when something is that valuable to you? Because after that number of years of marriage to my father-in-law, the value was no longer in what they would say the diamond was worth. The value was in the years of marriage. The value was in being husband and wife. The value was in the number of kids that they had and how they had raised them. The value was in the years that they had spent together loving one another. The value was in the years spent together of ups and downs, of different trials, of different challenges. The value was in the joys that had come, the celebrations that had come, the excitement from the marriage, everything that had come along with it, the adventures that they had had together. It was no longer the value of what the stone was. That she knew could be replaced. But it was hers. When they went to replace it, she did so begrudgingly. Because it wasn't hers. It looked the same. But she knew it wasn't. And some of us might ask, well, what's the difference, right? What's the difference? It looks exactly the same. It's going to feel the same way. It's going to shine the same way. But she knew it wasn't hers. And see many of the ladies just nodding their head at me, understanding. 
today as we talk about that good shepherd. In the Old Testament lesson, we begin to understand what it looks like to have somebody who seeks us out. And I don't want to just say that somebody who cares for and tends to us, right? That's usually where we go with it with the good shepherd. Somebody who tends for us, somebody who looks after us. Well, I'm going to put you on the category of everybody who needs to be gone after. Everybody who's done something that they need to be sought out. Everybody who's done something in their life or has some type of thing of, well, if I can say, ailment of sin. Of something that has separated them from God at one point in time. And that could have in some way, if not taken care of, could have separated them for all eternity. But you and I have a Savior who has sought us out. Who didn't just leave us in that sin. You and I have been surrounded by Christian brothers and sisters. Who didn't just leave us in that sin. Who called us out on it. Who said that you need to get your head right. You need to get your heart right. You need to check in with God. You and I are blessed to be able with family members who are Christians. Or friends who are Christians. Or members of church who are Christians. Who have said you're not going down the path that you should be going. No, you're wrong in this. No, you need to do a 180 and turn to go the other way. They sought us out and had that conversation with us. And here in Ezekiel, we start with these words. And they're words of seeking out. It says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep and have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. God is saying that he is so invested in us that he's not just going to leave it up to the lowly shepherd boy. That he's going to have his hand directly in the searching and seeking. And that as he calls us by name, that he's not just going to let us go. And it says that as he's going to seek us, that he's going to do so even when it's cloudy, even when it's dark. And I want you to think about this. When is the most dangerous time to be able to go and look after a sheep? It's in the middle of a storm. It's in the middle of the darkness. When something bad can happen to the person who is seeking. And then in our gospel lesson, we receive the example of of you who have 100 sheep and have 99 of them and one is lost. Wouldn't go after the lost one. Well, why is that so important? Why is it such a big deal that if one is lost, that you would go after it? And here's where you and I need to understand the character of God. Here's where you and I need to understand his love for us. He doesn't count it good enough just to have most of us. He doesn't count it good enough to have almost all of us. He doesn't count it good enough to have some and the ones that wanted to go away to have let them go away. It's not like he just casts them to the side. Our Heavenly Father continues to eagerly seek after us. Our Heavenly Father continues to run after us. Our Heavenly Father continues to go through all sorts of things so that he can come to us where we are because we're not able to get to him. Well, what has he done? Adam and Eve fell into sin. And he just got rid of them all? No, he figured out a way to reconcile them to himself and promise to them a savior. The world was going to hell in a handbasket. And he said, I'm just going to wash it all away. 
No, he preserved Noah and his family and continued to let them know what he had blessed them with and that a Savior was coming. Even giving his own son. Even giving his own son to die upon a cross to pay a price for our sins that we cannot pay. Does that sound like somebody who's going to be satisfied with just the 99? Does that sound like somebody who's going to be satisfied with almost everybody? And so you and I so often talk about the good shepherd. And for some reason we think he's some warm, cuddly person. But I don't know about you, every manger scene that I've ever seen, the shepherd's kind of a brute of a man. Usually it looks like he's a little dusty too. And has the strength to be able to put something and carry it upon his shoulders. Have you ever thought about that of your Savior? Have you ever thought about that of your Heavenly Father? What does he have the strength to endure on your behalf? What is the weight that he is willing to carry that if he were to seek you out, that he would have to put on his shoulders? What are the burdens that you have that as he comes to you, as he looks for you, as he finds you, that he places upon himself and then would have to walk with. We were up visiting Elizabeth's folks over Labor Day weekend. Went and saw great-grandma as well. And we were talking about their cabinets that they had in, and we were debating how old they were. And uh, as you gauge things, right, you gauge them by how old the kids were when one of them was born, when different things happened. And so the new cabinets came in right about when Lucy was born. So it's been nine years since those new cabinets got put in. And it was a a few years after Elizabeth and I had been dating, got engaged, were married, uh, that they got put in. And so roughly about five years after all that transpired and they're putting in new cabinets as they're taking them off the wall, the old ones, something found out, fell out of the cabinets. And it caught my mother-in-law's eye. And she had dusted these things down and wiped them down because they were going to be donated and given to another person to be able to use. And, you know, you don't pass anything along, even if it's taken out of your house in a condition that it doesn't look nice. And she had cleaned. She had she even remembered that when she first went through, we took every single plate out of those cupboards. We took them one by one and took them off. We took every cup and looked through it. Every utensil came out of every single drawer, and we looked and we dusted down. We emptied out uh, different bins from when we were uh, vacuuming up just to see what was in there. And somehow it had gotten wedged in one of those, and there she found her stone five years later. Much to my father-in-law's chagrin, he knew exactly how much it was going to cost him to have that stone put in for the new stone that was in there and have the new stone taken out. Which was nonsense, right? Just hang on to it. Just put it in the jewelry box. But some of you are looking at me and saying, no, you know, you want the original stone put back in the... Do you understand the irony of it, right? The irony of it that it's already fixed, it's already repaired, but you want to put the original one back in because what's the original one mean that the new one doesn't? Again, because that was her stone. And it wasn't simply the value of what you and I would say from the jeweler was on it. But it's all those years and what it meant. My father-in-law had it replaced with a smile on his face. 
your heavenly Father clings to you. He doesn't just walk alongside you. He clings to you. He desperately wants to be in relationship with you. He wants you to know who he is so that way you might be redeemed and reconciled to him by the blood of his son. That you would walk with him for all eternity. And when that bond is broken, when that relationship is hurt, when it doesn't look like it's supposed to, and you and I wander away, the one who is clinging to us desperately wants to be reconnected, and he comes running after us. He comes running after us in a way that he sends his Holy Spirit, that he comes running after us in a way that he gives his only son. He comes running after us in a way that he would sacrifice everything else just to restore and reconcile that relationship. He comes running after us because the thing that he had clinged to holds so much value for him that in that relationship that he doesn't want that relationship if it's not there with him anymore. That it doesn't mean the same off in a distance as it does side by side. Do you know that you're clinging to? Do you know the value that your Heavenly Father holds of you? Do you know the strength that He has to be able to put you up on His shoulders in the weakest of moments? Do you know the strength that He has to not worry about what the rest of the world might perceive Him to be or to look at Him as long as you know the strength that He has, as long as you know the care that He has, as long as you know the forgiveness that He has given to you through His Son, as long as you know that He sent His one and only Son to die and rise for you, as long as you know that you've been washed over and made a new creation, as long as you know that He has come chasing after you wherever you might be, whatever the clouds might look like, however dark of night it may be, whatever the storm is, Whatever the burden is, he has come running into the midst of it to seek you out. But what's so great about you? Can he find another one just like you? Isn't there somebody that can do just exactly what you do? Isn't there somebody that looks just like you look like? No. Because you are exactly who he made you to be. As he knit you together in your mother's womb. You are exactly the one he comes running after. Because nothing else could ever replace you. Because you're the original. You're the only. And he would give everything to continue to walk with you. May you know his love this day and always. And may you help others to see that he comes seeking them as well and running after them. That he has enough strength to care for us all and to walk in relationship with us. Amen.